Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Awesome to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. Uh, just rolling through season one, you yeah. know, one exciting cliffhanger after another, talking about associate agreements, uh, specifically as it relates to the associate and from, from their perspective. And today we are talking about the all-important restrictive covenants, yeah. uh, which really manifest itself in a lot of different aspects and a lot of different agreements uh, and a lot of different ways in the dental world. If you're buying a practice, if you are selling a practice, if you are joining a practice as a partner, hiring an associate, yeah. uh, taking a job as an associate, these things are out there. And they kind of weave their way through your dental, your professional world, certainly your entrepreneurial and your business world, but really just your ability to practice. Yeah, and I run a large social media group, as, as you know, Robert, gets quite a bit of pr press. The restrictive covenant, usually not good press, right? No. So it is one of the most common, if you go into Dental Nachos, our thir currently 39,000 member group, and you go into the really search bar, many, huh? yeah, and you put in restrictive covenant, there's gonna be a lot of spiciness that comes up. Yeah, and, and it's one of those areas that when I see posts on Nachos or any other group, or blog, I just cringe because there is yeah. so much bad advice there. It is, it is the absolute pit of bad advice. And I want to share, Rob, uh, uh, we've used this example before, and a lot of this is, is your expertise, but you know, we're here in Center City, Philadelphia, where there's great restaurants. Somebody said, hey, Rob, welcome to Philly. You're new. I just want to give you a restrictive covenant. You can't eat on 13th Street. Well, <laughs> if you didn't know, you might be like, no big deal. Right, but right. then when you walk there and find that there's 10 of the best restaurants in the city, right. you go, man, that person messed me up with my eating. Yeah, yeah. Why? So I just think That's it's a an funny important analogy. kind of just story to understand that when people want to restrict you from doing something, it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean that I don't have restrictive covenants that you put in our contracts. It just means that it's really important to pay attention and ask more questions. Right, right. Yeah. And, and make sure, as we'll talk about today, that the restrictive covenant is going to be consistent with whatever your short, mid, or long-term plan is, yeah. uh, because these things do matter. So we talk about restrictive covenants, Paul. Really, we're talking about two species, so to speak. We've got covenants not to compete, and then we have non-solicitation covenants. And non-solicitation covenants mean that you can't solicit an employee or hire an employee of that practice after you're no longer working there, or you can't solicit patients or uh, oftentimes in a specialty practice, you can't solicit referral sources. And we'll, we'll talk about the word solicit uh, in a few minutes. And then covenants not to compete just means that you agree that you are not going to practice yeah. in a certain area for a certain period of time. Now, with that, you know, there are multiple issues and, and, and topics that, that you have to be aware of. Where is that 
distance measured from? Yeah. You know, is it measured from the practice that you work in exclusively? Is it measured from any practice where you work for that employer, where maybe one day a month you go out to some uh, remote right. uh, satellite office? Uh, does it only apply to offices where you work 80% of the time? Um, and this is one of the places, Paul, where, where I see the, uh, the sort of negative action yeah. uh, on, the, on the Facebook page, which is people say, I've got this non-compete. It says I can't work within 15 miles. Can I work here? Right. Well, and then people yeah. are like, they answer. Like, <laughs> yeah. you can't answer that question. Right. You haven't even yeah. seen the agreement. Right, I know. Shut up. Stop you it. Should, every time it happens, Rob, I think you should just say this. You should just say, could I, I can give you some good insights. Say, you know, I'm Rob, Rob Montgomery. I'm a dental focused attorney. I'm a dentist like you. What I'll share with you at this time is you're making a decision in a legal matter, like looking at a tooth without an x-ray. And in two seconds, I'll get what you're talking That's about. That's good. I like that. Look, it's like, if you just can use this, this is like looking at a tooth without an okay. x-ray and making a decision. Uh -huh. Because every dentist, Rob, you know, our job's not easy. Yours isn't easy. You're at a party. You're going to get some nachos. And someone goes, this tooth back here, my dentist said it needs a crown. Do you think it needs a crown, Paul, who I've never met? I go, I don't know. I haven't seen the x-ray. Yeah. Trying to enjoy this party. So every dentist <laughs> right. knows that feeling yeah. of being asked. So be cautious about the social media uh, input is this because like you've said that they need to see the x-ray and the agreement is the x-ray yeah no that's good I, I'm making a mental note of that yeah. uh, and uh, I'll even attribute that to you sure Paul. yeah that, you'll go ahead uh, and so and if you're looking at multiple offices right. you're working for a DSO it could be 10 miles from any of their locations even if you haven't worked there right. and you know it's our, our buddy Jamie Amos refers to the Olympic rings yeah. you know picture the Olympic rings draw those circles around uh, five different offices, and you're starting to talk about yeah. some real, real distance. Um, and so, when you talk about covenants not to compete in distance, generally how those distances are described is going to vary from place to place. So, if you are in an urban area like, say, New York, it may be expressed in blocks. Yeah. So, you agree that you're not going to work within eight blocks of the office. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> If you are in maybe a, a city, a smaller city in Philadelphia, for example, not uncommon for us to see Schuylkill River to Delaware River, Washington Avenue to Spring Garden Street, right? The we used to refer to as the Papal Grid. Remember yeah, when, the, yeah. when the Pope came to town, they shut down yeah, Center yeah, City, yeah, right? Yeah. The Papal Grid, which we all know is. I was supposed to run my place out during that time. I missed it. I missed out on a lot of cash. I think. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah. now like the Airbnb yeah. action would be high. Like it yeah. wasn't back back in those days, yeah, yes, Paul. Exactly. You didn't really have that. Um, so, uh, but if you're in a suburban area uh, or even a rural area, you're probably looking at miles. So yeah. you know, in a in a suburb that's a suburb that's close to a, a city, you know, you're you're talking maybe you know five ish miles, seven miles. If you're talking about an exurb, uh, maybe you know you're getting into the fifteen twenty. Yeah. Go to you know uh, Wyoming or Montana, you might be talking about fifty or seventy five. Yeah, right. Uh, Florida, a lot of times we'll see uh, mileage expressed or restrictions expressed by county. Um, so it really it varies from from place to place. And really what it comes down to is what is the competition? How many other dentists are there? How long does it take yeah. to get from point A to point B? And uh, we'll speak in a, in a few minutes about enforceability and, and what that means. But know, too, that... You know, you're taking this job. Every it's the the ultimate honeymoon. Yeah. Everybody's happy. The employer's happy. You're happy. Right. Everybody's excited. New job, new employee. 
Um, nobody's thinking about the, you know, the fatal exit. Right. Other than your lawyer. Yeah, right. I like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Debbie Downer is going to step in and tell you all the horrible yeah. things that could happen. But know that, you know, in that wave of, of love and optimism, yeah. that this employment relationship will likely end someday. Right. And when it does, it's not going to be great. It's going to be a breakup. There are good breakups, yeah. there are bad breakups. But even the good breakups, Paul, yeah. I think we can speak from experience right, in our sure. ancient ancient history yeah. back in the day, good breakups aren't aren't good either. Yeah. And so that's when these things get hauled out and you know you have owners that may feel slighted or not happy. Or if you're the associate, know that even if you think, well, I'm not worried about because I'm gonna go in there, and I'm gonna do a great job and this is not gonna be an issue for me, I'm never gonna get fired, unless of course you do. and overwhelmingly so in this world, expect that this covenant not to compete is going to be in effect regardless of the reason for termination. So if you're terminated for out, without cause, or if you leave without cause, or you're terminated for cause, whatever the case may be, you have to plan that, that when yeah. you exit, this thing's coming with you. You know, And um, so to that point, you have to be careful about these. We'll call them when they refer to it. When somebody comes up in the uh, in the minor league baseball and they have a brief stint in the major leagues, yeah. like they have a cup of coffee, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Say exactly. like you're, you have a cup of coffee in this yeah. in this practice, and you you know two months in, like, this is not what I thought it would be. Uh, I think it's a good idea for an associate to try to bake in a trial period like into these restrictions. How long codes. are those usually? It depends. I mean, I think two to three months yeah. is like sort of normal. And look, I think you should, for the most part, have a pretty good sense of what of what you got there. Yeah. Now, those trial periods, they can differ a little bit. It may be that for uh, it doesn't kick in at all until you've been there for three months. So yeah. after, after three months, you have a two-year, eight-mile non-compete. Or it may say that you have uh, your non-compete will be one month for each month that you've worked yeah. up until the sixth month, and then it becomes a year or two, yeah. whatever the case may be. There's some variables with that. And there's no right or wrong way to do that, but it's the concept that if you're in there and you know that this is not gonna work, that you have the ability to extract yourself without taking this right. burden with you. And from an owner's standpoint, that shouldn't be that bad of a thing. Yeah, Because you know how badly can an associate hurt you who's been in your practice for less than one hygiene cycle, right. who's done like a few cases, who's met a few patients that decides that they're gonna go take a job someplace yeah. else. I mean, I, I think totally it's almost agree. negligible. Yeah. And and you could say, in, in, in some respects too, if it's, the person is miserable, they might wanna stay even though they're miserable because they're afraid that they've got this non-compete. Right. So it's a two-way street, you know? Like and we, also, I mean, I, I know I tend, tend to be called overly optimistic, but you know, we've had some, we have some great associates now and something's been there for a while. If if for some reason, and, and this doesn't mean that non-compete, I know I want to get back on this topic, but it's just more of just me as a, like, if some patient wanted to see, you know, Dr. Jane, because he saw her for five years, and I said, you can't leave and see her. Said, I don't really want to do that as an owner anyway. So right. what I would share is relationships are really the, the thing that creates all these things. But then also, if you are someone who worked for somebody, and then you literally want open next door, it's not going to be a good feeling to them. So it's just like navigating these things. I'm just kind of adding for our associate listeners. Right. The professionalism that you show and mm -hmm. share on both sides, but then we're talking about associates, it's just important to your success, you know. Uh, and I think that restrictive covenants. I'll let you keep going with your your list, Rob. But I just think they are 
talking about something up front that's not going to go well later like you talked about right but you can talk about it in a way that's respectful to both people and isn't outlandish you know and i think that it creates a like you say an awareness of what the expectations are when you move on yeah absolutely yeah. you have to know going into it you yeah. know and too many people that we uh, advise when they're going to buy a practice or do a startup are pulling this agreement out and looking at this yeah. literally Paul I kid you not for the first time yeah and you know it's a shame because sometimes they would have what they're looking to do now from an entrepreneurial standpoint is something that's been on their radar for the last five years right. long before they signed that agreement and you know that's the thing that um, people sign agreements where you know and you should never do this you think that it's not going to be enforceable yeah. right and you can't sign these contracts and hope or think that don't worry this will never be enforceable and that is the number one pet peeve of mine when i look on the facebook group and see don't worry it won't yeah. be enforceable but wait rob I'll, I, I'll i'll kind of steal one of your next points but i can you know if these aren't enforceable i can just you know get myself an attorney and get in a protracted legal argument right absolutely and, and that, that'll work out fine for me there's no downside to that totally you know it's so much fun to go out <laughs> and plunk down a 10 or twenty thousand dollar retainer with a with a litigator to file a suit or defend yourself in a suit that may cost you a hundred thousand dollars the audience can't see my air quotes yeah. to win right right and uh you know it's just and it lasts for and I years want to jump in as the, i want to jump in as the practice owner to give insight to the associates whatever and also jump in as the transitions broker whatever you're trying to do whatever that thing is you want to do a better job or buy a practice it's now gone during your legal battle it's been sold to somebody else right or if i don't know if i had a great associate candidate if they said hey paul just so you know i got to battle my restrictive covenant i go well we need someone to do the crown suit yeah right so right, like, right it's not that i don't like you i just need someone here so banks and practice owners are not going to wait for your you know a few good men trial to happen for mm -hmm. this to be and say oh hooray i won oh absolutely <laughs> and that's that's a key point paul uh when you talk about banks you know as part of the due diligence when you want to buy a practice you're going to get a, a startup loan uh, they want to see your associate agreement right. and you could be in north jersey with a 20 mile non-compete and everybody could say there's no way that's unreasonable it will not be enforced I think that's that's probably a true yeah. statement. You know, again, it's going to cost you a ton of money to do that, but the bank doesn't. They're not. They're not the judge. Right. They're not going to insert themselves with this legal opinion and say, "Yeah, I think you're right. That is overly burdensome, and it's not you know uh, enforceable." And so, what's going to happen is you don't get the loan, yeah. or they'll say that's great. You think it's unenforceable? Come back after the judge agrees. And yeah. again, by the time that you know, 18 month or so period ends, let's just say, because that, that's a fairly common yeah. time for something to, to work its way through the court system. The practice that you wanted to buy is probably yeah. no longer available. Or the job. And the location yeah. that you wanted for your startup is no longer there. And the job that you want is yeah. no longer there. And, you know, know this too. You know, it's it, it may be, you know, in some respects, I'll take this the wrong way, less risky to merely take a job violating right. that. I mean, you'd never want to go out and borrow a million dollars right. within your restrictive yeah. covenant, even if somehow the bank missed that. I mean, that's just a bad idea because that means the sheriff shows up on opening day and and, and shuts you down. Yeah, yeah. And the bank's not like, well, that's great. You know, you're not allowed to practice because you're in violation of your yeah. covenant. Yeah, they still want they still want their loan yeah. paid. But you know, even from an associate standpoint, you call me. 
Paul and say, well, Rob, you know, uh, we've got this uh, associate we want to hire, and uh, you didn't tell me about the non-compete. And his former employer's lawyer sent this letter saying, cease and desist, you know, or else, what should I do? I'm going to tell you, show them the door. Because, Paul, right. you, even though you may not have liability, you may or may not, but even if you don't have liability in that suit, you're going to get sucked into it. You're going to be answering discovery requests. You're going to be yeah. deposed. You may even become a party of sorts to that. Like, no way. That's why I was waiting for my good good quote to add to this episode. You're not legally obligated to get involved in someone else's hassle. Right? No, like, right. I'm not legally obligated to get involved in some associate's hassle that I had nothing to do with. I'm right. going to say, hey, this isn't going to work out for us. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, that's why you just want to be able to answer the question if you're applying for a job. From, oh, what's your are you within your restrictive covenant? You know, I would ask that to someone. And if someone goes, well, I think so, it's a red flag on the interview. You know, I, I, I'm not sure. So I think that's just a key point that whatever winning is, there's no winning. Yeah. It's going to prevent you from doing the thing you wanted to do. Absolutely. No, no way is it a win. And it's going to cost you a ton of money. And I will say also, when judges get involved with business disputes, get, you know, all bets are off as to what that's going to look like. You know, yeah. my experience has been to see judicial rulings in these things are all over the map. They don't make sense. There really rarely is there a winner. Yeah. They, they craft something that just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And then you end up having to settle. Um, and so with that, you know, so you want to avoid the trial. And so in order to do that in some respects too, is you have to make sure that this covenant not to compete is clear as to what you yeah. can and can't do. Now, these provisions are difficult to negotiate, no doubt about it, especially for an associate. They're challenging even in the transition world, but in an associate agreement, very difficult. Because if you're the associate and the employer hands you a contract with a 10-mile non-compete, it's really hard to go back and say, well, you know, I'd really rather have seven. Yeah. Because the first response, the first reaction from the employer is, what's she trying to do yeah. 7.1 miles away? They're going to steal my practice? <laughs> yeah. They're going to yeah. steal my patients, right? Yeah. Which is somewhat crazy, too, because you've had the practice for 25 right. years and somebody just tripped out of dental school is going right. to all of a sudden hijack yes. your practice. I, yeah. I guess it happens, but, you know, it's not um, not exactly the, a high likelihood. But nevertheless, you do need to protect yourself I think because these things jump in and carry say, on later yeah, when those know, people I, can be a threat. kind of crosses both worlds. But you know, now with associate driven practices, that could happen because the owner is not necessarily the face of that practice. And you know, this, we get back into the DSO world, and that's why they probably have, like maybe you call strong language, to, mm -hmm. so that they make sure that they're kind yeah. of protecting their asset. And I get messages all the time, Rob, from associates that say, this DSO, I'm leaving, I don't want to be there, but they have this restrictive company. I said, which attorney let you sign this? And they said, I never got an attorney. And right. I say, that's that, you know, what do they call it? Ounce of prevention, pound of cure thing. Right, right. Yeah. And so with that, you know, you, you need to know what you can and can't do. Um, and that needs to be clear. So even if it's yeah. challenging to negotiate these, you need to know that, that I can do X, but I can't do Y. Yeah. So you may not be able to say, I don't like 10 miles, I want seven miles, but you do have the ability to say, yeah, 10 driving miles? Yeah. I don't know what a, what a driving mile yeah. is. You know, like driving what, yeah. right? Uh, you know, a, uh, a drone or a car, you yeah. know, it's, it's straight line miles. And I'm giving you examples that we've seen. Yeah. You know, if, if, does that mean you're taking the fastest way or yeah. the long way or the road that's under construction? Um, the other thing is describing the area. 
I'm going to exaggerate a little bit here, but we've had a couple instances recently where people have brought essentially non-competes. It's like um, 300 feet away from the red tree up to the green tree, but <laughs> yeah. not including, you know, my friend Mo. Yeah. You know, and they say, "Can I do this?" Like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. You know, and so in the gray area, the gray area here is a bad place for the associate yeah. to be because the very frustrating conversation that I have, and it's, it disappoints me when I have to have it, is, can I do this? Hmm, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. You want to know what you can and can't do. And that's always fair game. So yeah. an employer says, you know, from the green tree to 300 feet away from the red tree, but, you know, not next to, you know, Uncle Mo's house. Like, no, no. That doesn't work. Yeah. Let's look at this. Let's draw it out on the map. You tell me, is that two miles? Is that three miles? Right. Whatever it is, let's just get it and we'll get it right. And no, this is, you know, distance as the crow flies, they're air miles. We're not right. doing this driving thing. Right. Because you want to be able to look and say, Paul Goodman found this great practice for me and it's 3.2 miles away and I have a non-compete, it's three miles. Right. I'm good to go. Yeah, yeah. Not this exactly. like, well, we're not really sure how a court's going to interpret right. that. Um, but, you know, to your point, well, let's roll into non-solicitation yeah. now, which these are the other covenants. You know, one of the most common and important non-solicitation covenants is the non-solicitation of patients. Yeah. So you have to be careful that even if you have a non-compete of five miles and you're going to be 5.1 miles away, are you going to be, quote unquote, soliciting patients? Right. You know, and you're, even though you're outside of the non-compete, you're still kind of fishing in the right. same pond. And depending on what that non-solicitation says you can or can't do, that could stymie your right. ability to market and do the things that you need to do with your practice. And so that's like non-solicit or shall not solicit is like, is, is one of those lazy words, Paul. Yeah. You know, and we don't use them in our, our agreements. You know, we, we start off with that and then we define what that means. We talk about instances of that. But, you know, is it, Solicitation: If you put a uh, an ad on Facebook right. and and a patient who is a friend of yours on Facebook sees it, I don't know. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. um, is it a solicitation to put a billboard five miles from the practice that patients and, and, drive and by? Back to your break. I don't know. It's like you know. I'm assuming the practice owners that make a big deal about this, the breakup was on the bad side, mm -hmm. right? You know, if it was if someone was outside of my restrictive covenant and. I saw their Facebook ad. I'm just telling you, I, I say this, I wouldn't be thinking that they were trying to solicit, but it doesn't mean another practice owner is going to think like me. Right. And, you know, it's the world of marketing has become very cool, but also very complicated. Yeah. So it's not like the 1980s where it's like, if you know, someone walks up to a soccer game and says, come to my office because right. they were their patients. Now it's this digital world. Exactly. And, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, that can create, I mean, this is where probably just as a theme throughout this entire season of being aware of what you're signing and being aware of who's asking you to sign it, mm -hmm. right? It's right. both the awareness of the words, but also who is this person? And I'm sure you mm -hmm. have calls with your clients all the time where they're basically telling you, they don't know if this practice owner or DSO is such a good person, but they want you to tell them it's okay. And you're yeah. like, it might not be okay. Well, I always tell people like, if, if you don't like the deal or the arrangement, or the relationship, there is nothing that I can put in the contract that's going to fix that. Right, you yeah. know, like I, we don't have that magic where it's like, yeah. whoa, these people don't really like each other, but we'll just put it in this contract and yeah. magically they love <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't have that power, but uh, you know, it is. Uh, 
it's important to 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 know again what you can and can't yeah. do in that regard. And a lot of the language in these agreements is the same stuff that I used to see when I first started doing this stuff in like the early '90s, right? And you know when you were basically waiting for the yellow pages to come yeah. out in July. Like, that's not the way of the world anymore. Right. So solicit used to mean you basically stole a patient list and handed it to your office manager right. and say, call, call these yeah, yeah. people. Nobody does that. Nobody should do that. I mean, that's illegal in most states under the Uniform Trade Secrets Act yeah. uh, for, for other reasons. But there's no reason to do that. That's not how marketing happens anymore. Yeah. However, in a lot of the agreements that we see, you have this like leftover of yesteryear, former right. generation yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff talking about a model. Not totally applicable. Not at all, you know? And so you have to be careful about that. So you want that, you want to know even then what you can and can't do, you know? And if you have non-solicitation, do you have a carve out, which means an exception for mass mailing, general right. advertising? advertising that's not targeted to particular individuals. Yeah. You know, like that's that's reasonable to to ask for. You have to be careful too with liquidated damages. That's and where one of the things you're saying as you're talking, because I'll kind of play the dentist role here and maybe this is valuable for people listening in, is that if you are going to want to own a practice really close to where you're an associate, it might be better not to take the associate job there because yeah. the practice is three decades and the associate job could be three years. And right. I know I totally know, and I'm somebody who loves Center City and loves you know where I grew up, so I, I know it's not easy, but let's just say that you wanna practice in Mercer County, where I practice, that's where you wanna spend your life. Maybe even if it's a good position, it might not be good to take the associate position so close to there. I, I don't know what you think of that, Rob. I totally agree. But, you know. Well, it's like, it's like I say, it's like fishing in the same pond, yeah. too. And here's the thing, you don't, you know, and I think a lot of people might think, I come into this with good intentions, and they say, I'm not going to solicit these people. I'm not going to do the wrong thing. It doesn't matter. Right. Because let's just say you were a good dentist. You had good relationships with those people in the practice. And now, a hundred of them follow you. Yeah. You may not have done anything, but it's the appearance of impropriety yeah. that gets you in trouble. Oh, yeah, you're not. There's no judge that knows what's what happened or what's right, right. and wrong. They hear the evidence and they make a determination as to what they think happened. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to go out there and set out to be a bad person right. for this stuff to unfold. In fact, you might just be a really good person, which means a lot of patients follow you and a lot yeah. of patients follow you. It quote unquote, it must be because they've been solicited. And I'll tell you, you know? I'll tell you this as someone who's been dentist for 20 years, no matter how much people like me, there's gonna be a time they want to stop following me, and that's kind of the value of not practicing so close, right? Right. So if I had my, if I was, you know, I'm, totally. I'm an owner now, but if I develop relationships and people say I want you, well, if I in New Jersey, if I went, you know, 22 minutes away, there's like, I don't know, hundreds of dentists between now and there, so no one's going 22 minutes for me, mm -hmm. but they might go two minutes, right? Yeah. So that's just sort of just kind of a best practices thought to our associate listeners that look at your career broad picture and see if it really makes sense to take this associate position so close to where you want to own your practice long term. Yeah, it's a great point. I think some people are like, this is awesome. I found this place a half mile outside my, my restrictive code. Now, now, if it's like 20 miles and this is 21 miles, yeah, maybe okay. Yeah. But if you're talking about three and a half miles away in a three mile non-compete, that may not be okay. Um, and then with these things, especially with non-solicitation, a lot of times you'll see what are known as liquidated damages, where there's a penalty, an actual number that's assigned to the breach. So if you solicit a patient, you end up treating them, it might be $10,000 a patient yeah. or a percentage of collections derived from treating them. 
sometimes we'll see where it says that you owe them $150,000, you know, which is, that's a whole nother discussion whether or not that would be enforceable and whether or not that's legal. But, uh, or we'll transition into the last instance of non-solicitation, um, because I think referrals, that's easy, you know, if you can't go after referrals. But the other place where there's a lot of activity is with non-solicitation of employees. So, you know, if you're not allowed to solicit an employee of the practice for that same period of time, commonly. So that, you might see liquidated damages could be $10,000. It could be one year salary for that person that that you solicited. But where we see a lot of questions and a lot of gray area is, did you solicit this person right. for employment? Again, there's that, that, that sort of cop-out word. Right. What does that mean? You know, And any word that's not defined and is susceptible to different interpretation in my world means ticket to a lawsuit. Right. So is it solicitation if you put an ad on career builder right. and somebody in your former place answers that? and comes to work for you and you offer them a job, maybe, right? maybe not, you know. Um, is, and actually in this day, you're just gonna wrap up, uh, if I'm just listening as the, it's like, that could be a way bigger deal than a patient. Oh yeah. <laughs> because like, oh yeah, it's, it's never been easy to find team members, but in Especially the current now. time of this recording, uh-huh. it's really crazy. And uh, that could be something where I could even see someone like me really digging in because it could it could be a real challenge the business model right a few yeah. patients leave that's great but mm-hmm. your your star assistant leaves and you think it was done in a non okay way right you right. know you think that they said oh you know I, I don't know i don't know all these back but like like you said that that sounds like something if you put that in the hands of a judge you could just really anything could happen oh for sure and 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 that that's this is one of the places too where you know i'll field a lot of intro questions on that where they'll say i've got this non-solicitation can i hire this person who reached out to me like i got to see that contract yeah. i have no idea and sometimes what is called a non-solicitation may answer the question easily because it may be a non-hire yeah so it may not even say or maybe it says you shall not solicit or hire any of those people, yeah. and then that's a pretty easy answer. You know, you can't you right. can't do it unless you want to uh, get into a fight with your former employer. You may have liquidated damages, even if you don't. You know, if your former employer was a big DSO, for example, right. and they're in the business of retaining their employees, and they have the resources and the reason to pursue people to make an example of them right. so that other people don't do it, you could find yourself on the short end of a of a of a of a lawsuit with uh, somebody with a much yeah. deeper short, pocket. sounds like a short end of an expensive stick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, but so much with that. Again, the devil is in the details. You know, what does the agreement say? And you know, making sure that you know what you can and can't do, and making sure that whatever that is that you're agreeing to do or not to do is consistent with your future yeah. goals and plans. And I'll just say, you know, finally with this, it always amazes me how easy and how willy-nilly people are about giving up their right to practice their profession. Right. You know, you have spent all this time, all this money, to an, an effort, sweat and tears, to get this degree, to get the license. And then in the matter of seconds, you sign an agreement that says that you agree you're not gonna work within right. what could amount to 1,500 square yeah. miles, right? Like, just 
guard that. It's important. Such a good point. There are business reasons for the practice to do it, reasonable business reasons. There there can be a reasonable compromise, what protects them but doesn't put you at peril. But, you know, this is it. You know, you are agreeing to a restrictive covenant, a restrictive promise that is restricting your ability to practice your profession. Be careful about that. Such such a good point, Rob. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Paul, it's always fun. Great one. Uh, and uh, folks, if you like the podcast, go on iTunes or I- Apple Podcasts. Where? Yeah. Where is that, Paul? Yeah, you go, you I'm not could, an Apple leave guy. It, leave us a review. I know. Leave, I leave know, us a review I'm, on I'm iTunes, wherever you like, uh, for the Dental Amigos. Right now, my aunt's review is up there, so join it. <laughs> and on Android, you can go on Google Play and, and give a great one. And so thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Paul. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.